This Wellness Couch podcast brought to you by our brand new Facebook group called The Wellness Couch Tribe. Come join us and chat about any episode at any time. Keep up to date with all our events and connect with a like-minded group of wellness enthusiasts just like you. To join The Wellness Couch Tribe, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe on Facebook. The Real Food Real is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their Healthy Kitchen Oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness and optimising your health, metabolism and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 215 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by our very good friend, Dr. Phil Maffetone. In today's episode, Phil and I discuss the definition of maximum aerobic function and why it is so important. You will learn the key components that impact our ability to reach optimal aerobic function, why fat burning is not only essential for endurance athletes, and so much more. Phil is a wealth of knowledge, and I know you're going to learn so much from today's show. Hi, Phil. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? Hi, Steph. I'm great. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. Let's jump straight into today's topic. Um, I wanted to talk about your infamous MAF method. So could you tell us, firstly, what that stands for? MAF stands for Maximum Aerobic Function. And it's something I came up with long ago when I first got into practice in the, in the 70s. Um, the aerobic system is really a, a, a system that I actually didn't learn about in school. Mm. We learned about the anaerobic system, of course, the muscular and uh, hormonal systems and the digestive tract and, you know, all the other systems of the body. And the aerobic system was just nowhere to be found. And, and I stumbled on it later um, in a textbook um, and knew what it, what it was, but I, I never saw it uh, in, in, in that reference before as, as an aerobic system. Mm-hmm. And, um, but maximum aerobics 
function refers to the um, the potential we have to develop our aerobic system maximally. And the reason that's important is because the aerobic system contains many things that help us be healthy mm. and many things that help us perform well from a fitness standpoint, from a sports standpoint. Um, the aerobic system is really where we burn fat as, a, as an energy source. So that's a very, very important thing that, um, you know, had, had, had not been talked about for, for decades mm-hmm. um, during my career. And when I was lecturing or at races and talking to people about fat burning, they'd look at me funny and say, what, what do you mean? We're, we're a glucose-based animal. You know, we, we burn glucose. And, well, we do burn glucose, but we also burn fat. And it's the aerobic system that does that. And when we develop our aerobic system maximally, we burn high levels of fat. And as a result, we don't store a lot of fat. And um, so the aerobic system also is comprised of aerobic muscles, aerobic muscle fibers. Um, In the human body, the, the fibers are mixed. So we have a lot of aerobic muscle fibers among the um the anaerobic fibers which is a very important thing for the anaerobic fibers but the aerobic fibers are important because they sustain us long term so they support our joints they support our ligaments and tendons and and bones and other muscle uh other muscle fibers like the anaerobic fibers that we use when we race um and so without good aerobic function we don't burn as much fat we don't support our joints as much. The aerobic muscle fibers are also um, uh, really a hotbed of circulation. They're, they're called red muscle fibers because they're well endowed with circulation. They're also well endowed with lymphatics, which help drain um, waste materials from the body. And the aerobic muscle fibers are where we um, control our free radicals. Uh, it's where antioxidants do their job and um that's a very important thing with aging but it's a very important thing for athletes and just in general health all around so developing the the aerobic system maximally is something we do with um with our exercise it's something we do with a healthy diet and it's something we do when we control stress better because if we're under too much stress the aerobic system isn't going to work right yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a really important topic as well. Um, I think, you know, it's really important to look at those benefits of a well-functioning aerobic system and, and definitely burning body fat is essential for lots of reasons. And, you know, a fat-burning engine on a day-to-day basis we know is really important to manage your body composition, but it has some huge performance benefits as well, doesn't it, in terms of greater endurance, strength, and speed? It does. It, it has benefits for the endurance athlete, mm. um, the marathoner, the 10K runner, the 5K runner, um, the, the trail runner doing 100 miles, the Ironman uh, triathlete. Um, these athletes are, are, are not using... 100% or, or near 100% of VO2 max. Um, a, a marathoner uh, 
is using 80% of their VO2 max, maybe 85, the elites, um, a triathlete, even less, maybe 75. And so um, the aerobic system is really the key in these races. Those who have um, a good aerobic system perform well. Uh, those those who, who win these races have great aerobic systems. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's very important, but also the, 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 the sprinters, the hundred meter, 200 meter sprinters, the milers, um, uh, the basketball players, the soccer players, these athletes who use a lot of sprint fibers, they also can rely on the aerobic system as well, because like I said before, the aerobic fibers are kind of mixed with those anaerobic fibers. The anaerobic fibers are called, um, fast twitch, but they're also called white. Um, they're void of circulation. Mm. So they're, they're, um, they're not the red high um, blood flow fibers like the aerobic fibers. And as a result, they don't get a lot of blood supply to bring in nutrients and take out waste products. And they literally rely on our aerobic system, the aerobic muscle fibers to bring in those um, well-needed nutrients. Yeah, beautiful. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm sure you've heard it a, mi a million times before that we do often look at that aerobic system and it's assumed it's only going to benefit endurance athletes, whereas obviously all athletes are going to benefit day-to-day -day from having a well-functioning aerobic system and ultimately long-term from an injury and disease prevention point of view, which is what I'm so excited about so that we can extend everyone's athletic longevity. Yeah, and, and you're right. Just, the, just the, the benefits of the aerobic system for injury prevention mm. and injury recovery, and not just injury recovery, but workout recovery and race recovery. Mm. Um, you know, especially these track and field athletes, their, their recovery window is um, sometimes short, especially within a day if they're, running heats, say, for 100 meters or, um, you know, a, a, um, a soccer player, uh, by the end of the game, uh, the, the, the players who have great aerobic systems are as, as functional as they were early on. Yeah. And so the fatigue factor is very uh, much less of an issue in people who have a good aerobic system. Yeah, and that's an important consideration because we want them to have that glycogen sparing ability, right? So if we talk about a soccer player or if we talk about a, a more sprint triathlete, yes, they're going to be using more of the glycolytic pathways, but they obviously want to have that fat-burning potential so they can spare their glycogen for the high-intensity components, which are only a relatively small part, right? Yep, yep. And, you know, that that sparing of, of glycogen is so important, um, even in a marathoner, because in that last mile, as we watch these, these marathoners achieve these amazing paces in the last mile or the last half mile or the last quarter when they're, when they're down to a sprint, almost literally a sprint, um, they better have some of that glycogen left or they're, they're, they're going to come in second and not first. So um, sparing the glycogen is important. And if you can burn fat along the way in your race and in your training, um, that will happen. 
Yeah, I was having this exact conversation yesterday with a client of mine and he's probably one of my original clients. So he's well and truly fat adapted and he wasn't quite a marathon, but he did a 32 and literally in the last couple of, you know, essentially meters, he passed who was in second and third and ended up coming second in his age group. And both of the the guys that he passed, you know, came over to him at the end of the race and were like, that was amazing. Like we had absolutely nothing left. And he just, you know, flew past them. And I said to him, that's because you've had adapted. You spent, you know, a good 31 kilometers, obviously burning a little bit of glycogen, but you still had that huge engine, which I'm sure they didn't, you know, maybe at all. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really sad that the, the, not just, the no pain, no gain trend, but the, the sugar burning trend, and they don't call it that, but it's, it's the result of training hard and eating poorly. We end up being really good sugar burners and not very good fat burners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look around at the racers today, it's a lot different than it was um, when when I, 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 I ran the New York City Marathon in 1980. That was my first marathon. And, and I don't remember seeing anyone who had excess body fat. And there were, there were about 20,000 runners. Mm. And um, that's not the case today. Today we're seeing people who I'm wondering whether they should be out there competing in a marathon because they have rather large bodies. And, mm. and I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not saying anything nasty. I'm saying something clinical. Um, Get rid of the body fat first, and then you'll be a lot better off uh, competing in these races um, without getting hurt. Yeah, for sure. And I want to speak to your comments about the sugar-burning metabolism because, you know, that's obviously what we've seen that um, a lot of athletes have probably created without really appreciating why you know they've been told what to eat which is this food pyramid and these really conventional athletic guidelines which are you know which contain these huge volumes of carbohydrates and then they get trapped into this no pain no gain mentality that you mentioned which is all you know harder and faster and more training and what happens right we know what happens they end up with you know energy issues or you know, longer term things like chronic fatigue, they're frequently injured because we know that sugar is highly inflammatory. Um, They obviously get the increased body fat or the inability to burn fat. And what you probably see as I do is this chronic inflammation and that comes from the constant burning of sugar for energy. Yeah. um, Boy, there's a lot there. What happened back in the in the 60s, when um, Cooper's book uh, came out, uh, Dr. Cooper wrote uh, his famous book on aerobics in, I think, 1968. And then um, that was sort of the, uh, I think the, the, the boom had already started a little bit, but that really pushed it along quite a bit, along with some other things. But what happened to people is... It, it all came down to mind control. That's really what happened to people. And they just, they just followed um, uh, 
you know, like, like an animal in the lab um, that follows a signal or, or some visual cue. Um, mind control uh, was used in advertisements. So uh, the whole thing about uh, the pasta party yeah. before the marathon, um, eating, um, eating junk food to, to build up your glycogen stores, um, uh, the, the carbo loading, you know, three days ahead or whatever the, who knows what they're doing now, but that's, that was mind control. Yeah. The no pain, no gain. Let's, you know, you've got to train hard to race hard. You've got to train fast to race fast. That was the, that was the line. Yeah. That's, that's mind control. And it's really, really sad because it hurt a lot of people. I saw them. I had people coming into my clinic who I said, look, you, you shouldn't be, training let alone racing because you're hurting yourself you've already hurt yourself you're at risk for hurting yourself in a more permanent way if you don't uh, make some big changes and um and to tell people to slow down and to eat healthy food and to not eat junk food boy that was a tough sell it's gotten a lot easier in the last um 10 years but man it was it was tough um back back in the Certainly in the seventies, but through the eighties and into the nineties, it was it was pretty difficult. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I can only imagine, um, you know, what people thought, like how crazy they thought you maybe were back then, when we weren't really aware of how to build a well-developed aerobic system. So let's talk more about the training because I want to explore more about the how to work out your maximum aerobic function and and what that has to do with your heart rate. And yeah, let's start there. To develop the aerobic system, there, there are two things we need to do. One uh, has to do with food. Yeah. We can come back to that. But the exercise part is just as important. The aerobic muscle fibers are called slow twitch fibers. Now, that doesn't mean we, we train slow. It may mean that in the beginning, but... Um, we have to train relatively slow compared to uh, doing track intervals or, or 5K pace, um, 5K race pace. Um, wherever the, 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 the level of, of fastness or slowness, so to speak, is, is dependent on your aerobic system. Yeah. So if you look at a submax heart rate and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train slow, I'm going to train my aerobic system, um, many people um, are, are at a crawling pace. Yeah. And they complain that the MAF system doesn't work, aerobic training doesn't work, uh, this can't be right, uh, I'm not made for that, I'm really made to train fast, you know, all that <laughs> nonsense. It just, yeah, you're wrong. Sorry. If you're, if you're running very slow, uh, because that's what your heart rate tells you to do. We'll come back to the heart rate in a second. Um, that's because your aerobic system is very poorly developed. Yeah, that's the reality and check. That's not my fault. That's your fault. <laughs> no, that's the reality check that not a lot of people yeah. are you know, willing to have. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the heart rate um, is important because the heart rate reflects our our uh, meta- metabolic response mm-hmm. to exercise. So if we want to be more of a fat burner, if we want to build our aerobic system, we want to train at a sub max pace. Mm-hmm. 
And to, to find that heart rate, you can go into a lab and test yourself, find out um, how much fat and how much sugar you're burning at different heart rates. And the, the person who's um, evaluating you uh, should be able to say, okay, here's the best heart rate. But most people are not going to do that. Um, first of all, doing it once is, is not worth it. You've got to do it on a regular basis to see how you're improving, if you're improving. And so I developed something, and I, I did a lot of that testing. Um, and what I did was developed a formula called the 180 formula, which allowed um, people to come up with a heart rate that would best train their fat-burning aerobic system. And I called it the 180 formula because there was, at the time, a very popular 220 formula where you took 220 and you subtracted your age and then you, you found a range of 65, 75, 85% of that number. Well, that's, you know, if you just go out and run at any pace, you're going to fall into that range most likely. Mm. And so that's, that's too much guesswork. So what I found was that 180 minus your age, and then you modify that based on your level of health and your level of fitness. So we want to individualize that. This is not a formula that um, is applicable to everybody. The 180 minus the ages, but now you've got to individualize it. You've got to put yourself in one of four categories. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the first, second, third, or fourth category, you're going to subtract another 10 beats. You're going to subtract another five beats maybe. You're going to keep that 180 minus the age the same, or you're going to add 10 beats. Mm. So that first category is for people who are new at this, people who are beginning to exercise, or people, <clears throat> excuse me, people who are um, in rehab, people who have burned out and they're just coming back from uh, a, a bad state of health. Um, they subtract 10 from 180 minus the age. Mm -hmm. If you're in the second category, it's because you're, um, you're training, but you've, uh, you've been injured. Uh, perhaps you're, um, you get uh, three or four colds a year. You, get, um, uh, you have asthma or allergies. Um, you have, um, your, your health isn't where it should be. And um, those, those people take five from the 180 minus the age. And then if you're not injured and you're competing and you're doing well, then you keep the 180 minus the age the same. And if you're a competitive athlete who has not been injured in a couple of years, who has made progress in a couple of years, now we've pretty much eliminated most people. Everybody. <laughs> you can add, you can add, um, uh, you could add 10. So, yeah, but that, that, there's more details. Um, don't don't uh, don't take notes on what I what I said, but go mm -hmm. and read the 180 formula article, which will give you the specific questions to answer. And if you're honest, you'll come up with a heart rate, say of 140, and training at that 140 heart rate, at or below that 140 heart rate, is where you want to be to build your aerobic system. Yeah. 
I love that. So that's obviously our fat burning zone. But for some people, like that heart rate is actually quite low. So if I look at my heart rate, I'm 35. So obviously my baseline 180 formula would be 145. Now I haven't been doing a lot of training. So I'd be honest and take an additional five. So that's a 140. But what about someone that's older and, and what does that do to their heart rate? Because in my experience, people get really sort of, they, they freak out when they see this number because they know they're going to be basically walking backwards or having to slow down. They've got a huge sort of psychological issue with that. Yeah. When I developed the 180 formula, um, it, it began in the 70s. I was, I was um, on the track every week with a, a large group of athletes. We had heart monitors, very crude heart monitors. Um, and I was looking at gates, comparing the gate with the heart rate. And, um, and from that and from the, the laboratory data and from my examinations and histories, I came up with the 180 formula. The fact is, I, I remember having one runner who was uh, 60 years of age, and he was the oldest guy. The next oldest guy was 52, and there were a lot of people in their 40s and 30s and 20s. Um, and so the data I have for the 180 formula really goes up to age 60 or so. Mm -hmm. I eventually got more 60-year-olds, but... 65-year-olds, boy, I didn't see many of them for a long time. 70, 75-year-olds, they just weren't around mm -hmm. um, back then. That's, that's all changed now. So what I say is that if you're 65, for example, um, you might have to add up to 10 beats to your 180 minus the age, but that doesn't mean you add 10 beats. It means you might have to add 10 beats if you're healthy. Yeah. And if you're progressing and if you're doing well uh, with everything and, um, and then once you have that training heart rate, what's, what's most important in this is to know that you're making progress, just coming up with a good training number. Even if you go to the lab and they say, yep, this is exactly the training number you should be. That's great. But are you benefiting? Are you building your aerobic system? Are you burning more fat? I want to see some concrete data. I don't want to guess. So we have something called the MAF test, which is basically at that MAF heart rate that you've determined from the 180 formula. Let's say 140. You put your heart monitor on. You've been training every day at 140. After about two, three weeks, you notice you're getting faster at the same 140 heart rate. Mm -hmm. A month later, you're even more faster. And then a month later, faster still. So now you literally go from complaining you're going too slow to a few months later where you start complaining maybe, hey, this is a little bit too fast. Uh, what a wonderful thing to experience. Um, and so... I want to know that your aerobic system is improving based on that kind of data. And if it is, then whatever you're doing with your, your training, your diet, your stress management is working because, and that's what MAF is really. It's an assessment tool to monitor your, your health and fitness. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you eat. I don't care how you train. 
I don't care if you get stressed every day to the max. If you can tolerate it and your aerobic system is still developing, that's perfect. Mm. But, but don't lie to yourself. Yeah. Be honest and, and measure things. And um, for most people, uh, you will not keep making progress by eating junk food and training badly and being stressed out all the time. Yeah, I completely agree. We've got to look at those three essential components. But like you said, it is that real honest conversation with yourself. Like the modifications that you mentioned around subtracting an additional 10 for the first category, for example, like the 180 formula clearly states the definition of that. And it includes if you take underlined any regular medication yet there are so many people that will say oh no it's just an asthma puffer or it's just a low dose of x and so they you know they rule out that category because they're desperate to keep that pure 180 minus their age is that something that you see quite a lot of or oh yeah yeah i mean i i i discovered that years ago mm. basically if you're on medication um a if it's needed it means that you have a, a significant health problem. And if you have a significant health problem, then you've got to make um, a, a significant modification. You need to lower that heart rate in order to um, build the aerobic system. Mm -hmm. And any medication, yes, any medication. I Yeah, I take these Tums from my stomach because uh, when I'm at work, I get stressed or I'm on... Uh, the birth control pill, or yeah. I have, um, uh, you know, I take a, a, a baby aspirin every day because my doctor told me to, um, blah, blah, blah. I am, I am shocked at how many people are on medication. The, the numbers are staggering. And, you know, since I moved, I've, I've had to find another dentist and you know, you can't, you can't go into a, you know, a, a practitioner's office and say, okay, here I am. Uh, I'm feeling good. Okay. I fill out this form. I don't have any problems. Um, please list all your medications, none. And they come out to the waiting room and say, oh, Dr. Maftone, you didn't list your medications. No, I don't have any. You don't have any. No, I don't have any. It's like, that's unheard of. And it's really gotten said the problem, uh, and if you, if you require medication, okay, uh, we could deal with that. We deal with it by getting healthier, and in many cases, we can get rid of the medication. But the use of medication, the, the unnecessary um, prescription, uh, is, you know, that, that, that has become a real serious problem. Mm -hmm. Um, people are on medications that they just don't need to be on. Um, and, and a lot of them don't realize that they can get off medications, things like insulin and high blood pressure medications. And so many things, um, um, you know, these conditions are treatable. And once you treat them and you're doing well, you don't need the medications in, in most cases. 100%. And obviously, like you said, if you're on the medication, in most cases, it's for a health problem that you can significantly improve by looking at those three pillars that we've been talking about, you know, nutrition, training, and, and stress management. So it's about taking your health into your own hands. And I think, 
you know, I was having this conversation in, in my clinic just this week with some of my staff. It's, it still blows my mind that someone would take a medication without really appreciating, firstly, like, do I get a second opinion? Secondly, like, what, what am I taking? What are the side effects? And like diving deep into the literature to understand like what they're putting in their body daily and what potentially is a life sentence because if they're not doing about anything about it, they're not going to get off the medication just by, you know, not changing what got them there in the first place. It actually breaks my heart, to be honest. It's really true. It, it's, it's really sad. Mm. It's really sad. And I'm not against medication. I'm against the way medication is used. It's mm. not used. It's abused. Mm. We, we still, not, not me, but, but uh, in medicine, they're still prescribing antibiotics for all kinds of things that, that you know, like a, like a viral infection and, and uh, prescribing it over the phone because people aren't feeling good or, mm. you know, and then when you question them, they say, well, patients expect you to give them a prescription. They expect, you know, to take some, you know, that's just, that, that doesn't cut it. Yeah. That, that's not, that's unethical. It's just unethical. Yeah. I completely agree. So let's circle back around. I just wanted to summarize. So obviously we've, we've calculated our MAF heart rate. We've definitely had an honest conversation with ourselves about those modifications um, based on the information that we discussed, but also what's available at um, filmaphetone.com forward slash 180 hyphen formula, which I'll share with you guys as well. Um, but yeah, the- that 180 formula, please read it because mm-hmm. it'll give you the correct numbers instead of what I gave you earlier. Oh, you were pretty close. I've got it in front of me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then it's the the regular testing, which I'm glad you mentioned before, because you do absolutely have that fixed heart rate. But when you start, it's highly likely it will feel quite slow. So, you know, that whole analogy that you always use feel about slowing down to speed up. Um, It's really important that you do see those progressive improvements in pace at that fixed heart rate. Yeah, it, it's it's usually pretty obvious. Um, and and today we have you know the GPS monitors that um, if we go out, you know, I would often recommend people test themselves on a track so you've got a nice flat, controlled environment. But if you if you go for a 10k run every morning or 5k run, and you're you know, it's a rolling course. Um, you've got your GPS. You're basically doing an MAF test every day. So you know how fast you should reach a certain point, a certain kilometer, a certain 5K mark. You're going to hit it at a certain time frame. And as the, as the weeks go by, you should see um, that you're getting faster to get to that same, mm-hmm. that same point. And... Um, uh, in the in the interim, when you're when you're frustrated and you can't train with your friends anymore because they're running faster and uh, you don't you know you don't want to you don't want to do that, um, just just stick with it because um, you're building your health, you're building your aerobic system, and you'll just get faster and faster at the same heart rate. And of course, as we get faster at the same heart rate, we also get faster with our race pace. A hundred percent. And again, a really good point about the whole training buddies conversation, because in my experience, a lot of people find that really challenging. When you tell them that heart rate, they're like, oh, but I won't be able to ride with the pack or I won't be able to run with 
so-and-so and I like, you know, have that honest conversation with them to say, unfortunately, that is the reality right now. But, you know, it's obviously only that short-term scenario soon, hopefully, if you do it properly, if you address your nutrition and change your training strategies and manage your stress, that you'll be in front of them, <laughs> right? Because yeah. that's that performance yeah. Yeah. benefit. Exercise is a very social thing. But if the sociability takes over mm. and it becomes strictly a socialization um, thing, then I'm not sure that's something worth sacrificing your health for. Uh, I agree. Yeah, 100%. So going back to what you were talking about before about that, that 10K example, so that's obviously how you can be a little bit more in tune your own aerobic development which is excellent but there's also a more formal variation that you can do with you know which again we'll provide the exact details on but there's obviously a warm-up component to it but the main part of the test is the three by one k's for a more of a short course athlete or the six by one k's for a longer course athlete where you get the the k or the kilometer splits and if you integrate that into your training every four or five weeks, obviously the goal is then to see those splits drop. So maybe when you start and your heart rate is 140, you might be doing six, seven, eight, nine, or 10 minute Ks, but you want to see that, that number, those numbers over those three or six 1K intervals improve with time. And I like to encourage people to do that every sort of four or five weeks and, We've definitely built that into um, LCHF Endurance. So you get that first-hand experience of proving it to yourself that you will get faster if you initially make those changes and slow down. Yeah, yeah it's a, like I said, it's a wonderful thing to experience. Mm. And, um, and you can f- not only feel yourself getting faster, but your gait's better. Mm. Uh, you feel better at the end of your workout. You recover better. You have more energy. Uh, your body fat uh, is going to be reduced. Uh, just so many wonderful things ha- happen. And by the way, uh, for many people, their goal is to race. And uh, when they're ready to race, and they could, they could just race one day after a few months of building their base and getting faster and um, jump into a 5K or a 10K, many people run a personal best when they do that. Yeah. Because they don't realize how much aerobic uh, function they've they've built up, and for that for that 10k race, that's really the name of the game: having good aerobic function. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, amazing. It's all about training smarter, not harder. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, awesome. Did you want to circle back around to nutrition and/or stress? Well, the the nutrition part is really, really simple. Mm. Um, If you eat sugar, you're going to trash the aerobic system. You're going to reduce fat burning. Sugar Mm -hmm. reduces fat burning. And if we look at the hierarchy, if we look at um, excess body fat, which comes because we've consumed too much carbohydrate in most cases, that excess body fat trickles down and produces chronic inflammation and carbohydrate intolerance, Mm -hmm. insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. And those three things, carbohydrate intolerance, chronic inflammation, and excess body fat, 
be create a cycle that just keeps going round and round and you just keep getting worse and worse mm. in order to break the cycle you just have to stop eating sugar and refined carbohydrates anything that turns to sugar like yeah. flour and you know wheat flour and corn flour and you know all those hidden sugars and all those sports drinks that are really helpful in the middle of a marathon potentially um if you need it but not um as a dessert after lunch or or as a snack because it'll just shut down your aerobic system and reduce your fat burning. yeah so that's really the until you do that all the other dietary stuff um as important as it may be is secondary yeah and yeah. the stress factor stress is 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 physical so if we're not wearing good shoes that's a physical stress if we have dental problems that's a physical stress if we're sitting at a desk all day that's a physical stress even athletes can be inactive because they they sit all day just because you go out for an hour run and then you go in your car and you or you commute to work sitting down and you get in, into your office and you sit there all day and you come home and sit on the couch that hour run in the morning really hasn't helped you a whole lot so physical stress biochemical stress indoor air pollution outdoor air pollution um too much caffeine etc cetera, etc cetera. but sugar is the primary one and everybody's familiar with mental and emotional stress and the game of stress is is really all about awareness if we're aware of stresses we'll tend to fix them if we're aware that our shoes don't fit right or that we have some dental problems we're not taking care of or that we sit all day and it's not good for us and we know it we're going to we're going to get a standing workstation we're going to get into the the right shoes we're going to start eating right we're going to decide I'm not having sugar mm. first thing people say is well what can i have then Don't worry, I've got that covered. Healthy <laughs> food out there, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, being aware of stress is really the first stage of saying, "Oh, yeah, I see that stress. I could just push it aside." Literally, that's what we're talking about. Just take your shoes and throw them out, or donate them, um, and buy some healthy shoes. Um, it's that simple. Yeah, I agree. It is. So awesome. I just, I can't wait for everyone to dive into your MAF method and experience that firsthand. Phil, I know you've got, you know, decades, like over 40 years of clinical experience and scientific research, and we're so grateful for you to share, um, you know, your knowledge with us. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been awesome to learn thank more. Thank you for this. It's been my pleasure. This is always fun. <laughs> thank you. Thanks again. We'll talk to you very soon. Yes. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real.
We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Couch podcast. Did you know we've launched a brand new Facebook group where you can chat about any episode you like with a tribe of like-minded people? The group is called The Wellness Couch Tribe and it's an inspirational digital meeting place to connect with like-minded wellness lovers just like you. To locate it and to come join us, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe wherever you enjoy Facebook. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.